We are in really week two of a series called Intimacy, and hopefully you were here a few weeks ago as we started this series, and we do have this desire in this fast-paced world we find ourselves in for things to move so quickly, to move fast. And that happens, I think, so many times in our relationships. We have these desires for intimacy, whether it's in friendships or marriages, for this connection to be fast and easy. But one of the things I think you discover in life is that it is never easy. It never happens quickly, and there is no autopilot for it. It's something that you're constantly working at to help grow. And so I want to begin... Um, as we did a few weeks ago in the beginning. And God created a man. And he made him in his image and his likeness. And God said, he looks a little thin. So, I'm going to give him some food to eat. And it says, in Genesis, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden. To work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And so in this creation, there is a tree. And this tree is different than the other trees. This tree looks like it is a place to find food, it is a place to find nourishment, but this tree is different because this tree, although it looks good, it looks appealing, it's not to be used for food. It serves a different purpose. And then as God lets man live in this good creation, man begins to look around. He begins to look for relationships. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so in this creation, man is looking for someone to relate to. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was asleep, he took one of the man's ribs, and he closed up the place with flesh, and the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And so this relationship is formed there in the garden. This relationship where both have their own separate being, but yet in some profound way, there is a oneness. There is a connection that they experience with one another. And in this connection, this oneness, this relationship, man and woman flourish. They flourish in the midst of God's good creation. But then he shows up. 
He shows up with blame and accusation. Accusing the creator of holding out on his creation. Did God really say that you could not eat from this tree? Did God really say if you eat from this tree, you're going to die? You're not going to die. You're going to be like God. And he doesn't want you to be like him. There is something he has that he does not want you to have, to know, to experience. Don't. Listen to him. And man and woman buy into the lie. And the blame and accusation that clouds the garden begins to, to cloud their vision for one another. In this relationship where oneness thrived and oneness was the way of life, there is now a new relationship is formed. And they don't see each other now as one, as we talked about before. But they see each other as the other. And otherness becomes the way of the world. That the oneness that was there in the beginning is somehow broken down. It's pulled apart. And this oneness is now met with this divide. This divide where they see the other person as the other. In Ephesians 2... Paul talks about it, and he calls it this dividing wall of hostility. That there's this dividing wall that's developed between the two sides. Brother and brother, sister and sister, man and wife, man and God. There's this dividing wall that's formed. In Romans 8, as we read just a few minutes ago, it says creation is groaning, it's longing. For things to be as they once were, as they are supposed to be. And what's interesting is you hear people talk about the brokenness of relationship. And you will hear these phrases. Well, they stabbed me in the back and it hurt. They, they cheated on me and it broke my heart. And we talk about the pain of relationship almost as if if we're talking about this as the fabric of the creation was intended for this oneness, we experience this otherness, we experience the brokenness, and we know that something is not right. Things are not the way they were supposed to be. There is this divide, there is this division, there is this, as we talked about a few weeks ago, this space between there's a space between what happens so often in our world and in our relationships and in our friendships and in our marriages is sin begins to fill the gap. The space between is filled with sin. But the beautiful story of the gospel is that the God of heaven steps down into earth, into these very relationships, into the brokenness, into the pain, into the hurt. He steps in where sin divides. And he speaks some powerful words. See, I think one of the most tragic verses in all of the Bible is in Genesis 3. It says in verse 6, When the woman saw that the tree 
The fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And then the man and his wife heard the sound. And I think this is maybe the most tragic verse in all of the Bible. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This oneness with one another, this oneness with God is broken down. And now there is this fear of being seen. And blame and accusation, that spirit becomes the spirit of the world. Well, it's this woman that you put here with me. It's her fault. This serpent that you put here with us. Maybe even the bigger picture. God, it's your fault. You put us here. You gave us a choice. God, you're the one that failed. And if that is the most troubling verse in all of the Bible. Maybe the most hopeful one is Father, forgive them. It's this picture of a Savior who steps down into our place. And as we sin and we hurt and we break down that relationship, He steps in and gives grace. And as sin does its absolute worst, it can do to its creator, to the Son. These words from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. These words form and shape everything we believe. And as Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, as sin increased, grace increased all the more. And in this space between where sin fills the gap, grace begins to fill the gap. It restarts the relationship. And on the other side of the cross, there is a renewed humanity. Things are as they are supposed to be once again. They are moving in that direction. There is once again a oneness that is restored. There, there is a oneness that is restored and creation is beginning to move in the direction. And it's groaning and it's brokenness and it's longing. It's moving back to the way that it was intended to be. And on the other side of the cross, there's this new world. There's this new world that's been formed by forgiveness. Almost as if forgiveness is woven into the fabric of a new world and it exists and it has its being simply because forgiveness is available to all. And in the brokenness of the relationship, forgiveness restores. Forgiveness renews. 
Forgiveness begins to make whole once again. And then Christ comes along and he says this, this new creation, that is my church. That is my church and they have been reformed in my image. And, and when we talk about baptism, listen, listen. When we talk about baptism, we talk about walking through the waters on the other side of the cross. Where we walk into this new creation. And we're a part of this new body. That we're restored, that we're redeemed, that God is reconciling all things. That God is making whole. We walk through the water and it represents this death that he went, to, went through in our life. And what you are saying, listen, what you are saying when you enter that water is not that I want Jesus to save me tomorrow. That I, I want to spend eternity with him. It, it's not all you're saying. What you are saying is I want to be like Jesus. I want to be formed in him. I want to be found in him. I want him to define my life. I want to look like him in every way. And the beautiful thing, this picture creates these outstretched arms on the cross that have the, ab the ability to bridge the gap, that have the ability to bridge the gap from the way things are supposed to be to the way things are becoming. These arms, they're powerful enough to save. These arms that are powerful enough to restore, to reconcile, to redeem. And those relationships that need to be restored, that need to be renewed, that process begins with these words from our Savior. Father, forgive them. <coughs> this is the story of the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus saves. This is the good news that God is making all things new. This is the hope that we share. So why does this matter to your marriage? Why does this matter to the relationships with your kids? Why does this matter to your relationship with your coworkers and your neighbors? Why does this matter in your relationship with your spouse? So we begin in these relationships as we talked about last week. These relationships where one person discovers this connection with another person. This person with their own world, with their own ideas, with their own beliefs. And this person reaches out in chance and gives of themselves to this person, creating this space of vulnerability. Putting themselves out there. And there's this connection that's made as this person gives back. And this flow is begun. This connection and in the space between that we talked about last week, what happens over time is this connection builds and it grows. And we start to realize there's something there. There's a spark.
And it's funny the way we describe it. When you're talking about friendship, it's just, it's just connection. When we're together, it almost feels like we're one. In your marriage, there was a spark. There, there was something there that wasn't there in my other relationships. And when I sat across from her and I looked into her eyes, there was something beautiful between us. She's not looking at me. I'm so in trouble. She was taking notes. There was something there. We connected in a deep and profound way. It's funny the way that we talk about it. It's almost as if there is this connection, this oneness that we find these relationships and we long for them. And on the other side, there is this creation of this new relationship. This new relationship and this oneness. While there are the, the still two people there is this connectedness, this oneness, this relationship that we long for. I call this a sacred circle. There, there is this sacredness to it, this holiness, this set-apartness, that this relationship is different than the other relationships and it's fascinating if you listen to other cultures and other religions talk about this in their vows as they make these promises to one another. This is from a Jewish wedding, a traditional vow. As they exchange the rings, I am the beloved and she is mine or he is mine. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, ruler of the universe, gladden the beloved companions as you gladden your creatures in the Garden of Eden. Blessed are you, Adonai, who, guard, who gladdens this couple. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, ruler of the universe, who created joy and gladness, loving couples, merriment, glad song, pleasure, delight, loving, love, loving communities, peace, and companionship. We bless God for creating joy and happiness, bride and groom, merriment, songs, gladness and rejoicing, love and harmony, peace and companionship. We thank God for letting this bride and groom rejoice together. These are Jewish wedding vows or Protestant vows. I, in the name of God, take you be my wife, be my husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. This is my solemn vow. And I found this interesting. This is an Apache ending, Indian wedding vow. Now you will feel no rain. For each of you will be shelter for one another. 
Now you will feel no cold, for each of you will be warmth for one another. Now there will be no loneliness, for each of you will be a companion for the other. Now you are two persons, but there is only one life before you. May beauty surround you on both surround you both in the journey ahead and through all the years. May happiness be your companion and your days together be good and long upon the earth. It's interesting that regardless of the culture, regardless of the religion, there is this sense, this understanding that something is new, something is different. There is this oneness. And that's what Paul gets at in Ephesians 5. As he begins talking about the purpose of breaking down this dividing wall and moving towards our everyday relationship, he says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, for which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the water, the washing through the water and the word. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their own body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. That, that Paul's idea of what a relationship looks like in marriage resembles this relationship. It resembles this gospel story that we gather and we tell one another. That Jesus is reconciling all things. Jesus is making all things new. That his arms and these words of forgiveness have the power to bridge the gap. And this person who's defined by forgiveness has the ability to bring what was separated and broken back into wholeness and completion. And so there's something powerful that happens when you stand across from one another and you say, I promise to you that you're making a commitment, that your relationship, that your marriage would mirror the story of the gospel. That, that forgiveness is going to be what fills the gap. Because I promise you in your relationship, there will be brokenness, there will be hurt, there will be pain, there will be scars. But the only thing that can restore, the only thing that can renew, the only thing that can reconcile is forgiveness. And forgiveness forms this new world we find ourselves in. Back in the early 2000s when Al Gore invented the internet, <laughs> there was a story that began to circulate. 
of the Stella Awards. And the Stella Awards were these outrageous lawsuits that people supposedly won. And so in 2000, Mr. Granzinski purchased a new 32-foot Winnebago motorhome. And on his first trip home, having merged onto the freeway, he set the cruise control at 70 miles an hour, calmly leaving the driver's seat to go to the back to make himself a cup of coffee. <laughs> Not surprisingly, the Winnie left the freeway, crashed, and overturned. Mr. Granzinski Grenzowski sued Winnebago for not advising him in the handbook that he could not actually do this. He was awarded $1.75 million plus a new Winnebago. So we found out later the, Win the Stella Awards were false. They were these made-up awards. There was no truth to the story. Although when you hear things like people winning $2 million for spilling hot coffee on themselves, you wonder. But I think a lot of times we treat our marriages, we treat our relationships in the same way. We make the commitment. We make the, the buy-in. We say, I do. And we hit cruise control. And from this point on, it's smooth sailing and everything is going to be Okay, but it's almost as if there is a gravitational pull to go back, go back to the way things were, and you will have to do everything in your power to resist that pull, because things don't just naturally go this direction, they are constantly pulled back towards brokenness, towards pain, towards revenge, not towards forgiveness, not towards oneness, not towards wholeness. You have to make a conscious effort and decision that my life is going to be formed by forgiveness. Forgiveness is going to define, it's going to be the foundation of this relationship because you're going to do things, you're going to say things that make that divide greater. It's going to do things that make you think there is a dividing wall between. There's going to be this groaning to go back to the way things were and this wholeness. Before it was complex, before it was difficult, you have to do everything in your power to resist that pull. To not put things on cruise control and keep pushing forward. Because this is sacred work. Because this is sacred space. This new sacred circle does not remain whole unless you consciously work at it. Our world right now needs wholeness. It needs completeness. It needs for people to push back against the brokenness and say, I forgive so that this relationship can continue. Now listen, I know some of you have been deeply hurt and wounded because of these 
divides. And it's easy to draw a line on a whiteboard with a marker and say, this is the sin that hurts you. But for you, it's personal. Because the pain is deep and it is lasting. And it's not as easy as just simply saying, it's no big deal. But forgiveness does not mean that we don't protect ourselves and not put ourselves back in that place where there is abuse, physical and sexual abuse and things in the past doesn't mean we just say we forgive and it's no big deal and we're going to go right back into the relationship as it was. Forgiveness can happen without making it like it was before and creating some distance there. I understand it's more complex than just some lines on a whiteboard. But what I do know is because of the complexity, a lot of times we sell out in its simplicity. We say, well, well, I know I, know I can forgive. I, I know I can just say it's not a big deal. I, I know we can move on. I know they didn't do the dishes like they promised. I know how easy it is to hold it. Many times the grudges we hold are simple. Many times the grudges between us are misunderstandings. Many times the, the divide, the brokenness between us is we didn't get our way. Forgiveness is the only thing that can fill the gap and renew Forgiveness is the only thing that can fill the gap and restore. See, in our desire for that intimacy, I think we've confused love and infatuation. We want instant intimacy. Instant intimacy is not love. It's merely infatuation. An infatuation will be here one day and gone the next. Love will not. Love will do whatever it takes to bridge the gap. Love will do whatever it takes to make these relationships whole. Love will do whatever it takes to bring this healing and restoration to this world. And so I just want to simply ask this morning. In your relationship with your spouse, in your relationships with your friends, with co-workers, with the people you see on a daily basis, does your relationship resemble this flock? Does it constantly move in this direction, even though everything within you is pulling the other towards brokenness. I think the beautiful story of the gospel is this constant invitation to come. Come and be forgiven. Come and be healed. Come and be made whole. And if you've never entered into that relationship with Jesus, 
just simply offer you that invitation this morning. Come to him, walk through the waters and into new life. And allow yourself to be found in Christ, to be formed in Christ. Allow him to become the center of everything that you are, everything that you do. Because he does not just simply want to change your tomorrow. He wants to transform you today. And change everything about you from the inside out. And if you're struggling in the midst of brokenness and relationships, whether it's your marriage, your friendships, we're going to have ministry staff, we're going to have shepherds around this auditorium in the back. We would love to help you in any way we can. If you need counseling, if you need healing, if you need prayers, we would love to help you in that journey. But this morning, I want to just challenge you, don't leave here as you were when you came in. Allow this love that bridges the gap to form your life, to define your life, and to define your relationship. Father, we pray this morning that you would make us more like your son. Guide us in those relationships. Form them, solidify them. Father, help us to be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' most powerful name.